Hey everybody, welcome to MindRise. I am your host, Ian Philo. This podcast is designed to help find solutions to everyday mental blocks. Its goal is to provide you with the tools to rise and break through your own barriers. In the game of life, we can be our own worst enemies. I created this podcast in response to my own battles with my mind. Instead of sinking further down, join me to commit to a more positive perception of ourselves and those around us. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Mind Rise podcast. I'm your host, Ian Philo, and today I have with me a guest. Um, his name is Joseph Tolanen, and we're actually going to be talking about a book that he's writing called Follow. Now, Follow is about developing and cultivating healthy rhythms, practices, and habits that will help you become the better person you were created and desired to be. And he has been working on this book for probably quite some time, and I'm really excited to see what he has to say about it and the process that's involved with that. Um, A little more on that, one of his hopes is that when his readers digest this book, he really hopes that they'll discover a much deeper sense of purpose and joy in their life throughout the book. He wants to instill the same sort of passion and excitement that he has for developing and cultivating healthy rhythms and practices And then ultimately, he wants to see this book as a tool to help other people take down what is staying in their way um, with the formulas that he that he gives inside the book. Um, Joseph himself is a music teacher at Lutheran West High School. He just explained to me, um, I think assistant music director. Um, He just explained to me what his actual title was, but I think it escaped me in the heat of the moment. But he's in a he's music teacher at Lutheran West High School. And he's been working on this book. He's actually a mutual friend of my friend Bryce. So he expressed an interest in being on this podcast. So I'm super happy to have him on. And uh, we're going to start to talk about Joseph and his journey in writing this book. So what's what's going on with you, man? What's uh, What got you to writing this book? And did you ever think you would write a book in the first place? Um, I, I've wanted to write a book for two or three years now. It was about then I had this really lofty idea that I was going to write these little daily blog post devotionals. And I ended up doing it one a day. Um, I'm actually looking at the binders here on my desk. I printed them all out. And that was a lot of writing. But it really... It really helped me to find this desire and passion for writing that I didn't really know that I had. And so I'd wanted, after that, I'd wanted to write for a couple years. And I really felt when I was thinking about this upcoming year here at the beginning of 2020, I felt like this is the year I'm going to write a book. And then it just so happened I was looking in my email inbox one day and someone had reached out to me on LinkedIn. It's like the only one good thing that's come out of LinkedIn for me. Um, They had reached out to me and asked, do you want to write a book? And I was like, yes, I do. And so that's really how it got started. So were they, was there, were they a publisher on LinkedIn or who was an editor or who, what was that person that reached out to you? Yeah. So this guy's name is Eric Custer. He teaches at Georgetown and he had this writing class. He was teaching students and then he got permission from the university to make it an open source class. And so 
there I don't know how many other people are in the program with me right now but um, it's about four or five months of the writing process you submit your manuscript and then he has a deal with a publisher New Degree Press who will be publishing the book and they take over about halfway through and then it's revisions and getting the cover art down and publishing the book wow that's awesome so so it kind of like you didn't really plan on writing the book or or would, would you still have pursued it if this person didn't reach out to you or would it just take longer yes. do you think well it definitely probably would have took taken longer I I was kind of in the mindset that I was gonna do it regardless of what happened and I was just gonna make it happen somehow and then it was totally one of those God things where I'm looking in my inbox and suddenly there's this random guy I've never met before reaching out to me because there's like one word on my LinkedIn profile that says writer so <laughs> it just kind of it all really worked out together well that's awesome yeah and, and I and I, I read like some of the excerpts on your Indiegogo page about like what the book's going to be about and how it's going to be broken down and it was really quite interesting um I mean, I don't know if you've listened to any of my other podcast episodes, but like, I'm very much of like trying to, um, trying to give out like a positive emphasis on what I'm trying to promote. Um, just helping people, giving helpful advice that I've thought through a lot of things that I've experienced myself, like very much putting myself out there and making myself vulnerable. So like when I saw that your book was kind of like on a similar wavelength as that, and then you kind of you're kind of like using this dynamic where you relate like rhythm with your music teaching um, along the same lines of like motivation in a way. Um, that kind of like struck me. I was like, oh, I've never really seen that done before. So like I I guess another question I have is like what, what about um, the word rhythm like really resonated with you in writing this book and like how is that being translated um, into like helping other people? So I actually first heard about rhythm, not in a musical sense, but in like the practices habits that I talk about in the book. I first heard about it in that sense a few years back at my church actually. And it was like someone had thrown like a ball at a wall and it just like bounced back. Like it just, it didn't hit right with me. I thought it was really stupid and I just went out my way and forgot about it. Um, <laughs> I happen to be a three on the Enneagram scale, so I'm an achiever. So my the unhealthy propensity of my personality type is that I'll overwork myself and just le leads mm -hmm. to burnout. And so at some point, I started to really just kind of suffer from this constant burnout, this constant emotional, physical, mental, spiritual exhaustion that I just couldn't really get over. And I started... I started learning about Sabbath and rest and how to kind of find a better rhythm in my work rest relationship. And that was kind of like the start of me for this rhythm thing. Um, what I actually talk about in the first chapter is a lot of people talk about balance and you hear it like, I'm just trying to achieve work life balance. And my problem, my problem with, my problem with work-life balance is that it's very static. I think people are trying to achieve this 
I'm at work like 60% of the time always, and then I have a life 40% of the time. But the thing is, and we all know this from personal experience, like life is not just this flat straight line. Like there's all sorts of things that come our way that we're not expecting, yeah. whether good or bad. And so what I really like about rhythm is that it gives me the flexibility to be able to take whatever gets thrown at me in a day, whether it is good or bad, and actually use it to my advantage because I'm not trying to achieve this unrealistic static goal for my life. I'm flowing in right. and out of seasons and in and out of XYZ on my schedule and allowing them to jive together. So in a way, it's kind of helped you um, cope with things better, you think? since it's not everything isn't so static i would definitely say it's helped me cope better but i think it's also it's just given me a better foundation in life um i think there have definitely been times in my life where i've just been doing too many things or saying yes to too many things and just being mm, out yeah, of that, that. Rhythm, <laughs> out of that order yeah exactly you know it's it's just really helped me to understand what I'm supposed to be doing and how I should go about doing it. Right, right. So is that has has that also helped like your your burnout? Like you you now realize like what you can say no to and like how you can limit yourself a little bit more. Or? One hundred percent, yes. Um, it's it and it's so difficult for me because I am that enneagram number three and I want to overachieve. And I want to just keep working and doing things, but I've really just learned to understand the importance of rest and giving myself breaks and allowing myself to breathe. And that's just been a really important rhythm for me because um, it, it helps me, like you said, know what to say yes to, know what to say no to. And I mean, the other rhythm in there is boundaries, which I also talk about in the book, but that's like a whole nother separate discussion from rest. Yeah. <laughs> Right. That's good, though. I think that's a good conversation that I don't think a young or enough young adults have um, when it comes to boundaries, too. And I'm glad that you end up mentioning that in your book. I was going to say with the whole rhythm thing, um, I've definitely learned to say no to people as well. Cause I'm like an artist, so I like do a lot of commissions on the side. And Sometimes people kind of treat me like an art vending machine. They're just like, oh, like he loves it so much. Like I could just get anything or get him to do anything. And it's like, no, like I'm not doing that. And it's like, cause I don't have to and I don't want to. It's like, I choose what I want to make profitable and I choose what I'm going to be working on. And I think it's really easy, you know, until you stand up for yourself to get really passive and be like, oh, like, they won't like me if I say no, or they, their, their opinion's going to be different of me. Like, I really struggle still for the longest time, um, not so much anymore, but with, like, just pleasing people. It's, like, always having to be, like, the people pleaser, like, oh, like, yep. geez, I said no. Like, are they just going to, like, cut me out of their life now? It's, like, yep. yeah. My, my wife's been a, a huge help in my confidence and standing up to people, so it's been helpful. <laughs> No, I can definitely relate. I can definitely relate too as a, as a musician. I, before I, I'm uh, pursuing a degree in ministerial leadership right now, but I was pursuing a music degree beforehand. And I don't know what it is about artists in general, like especially the fine arts, where people are just kind of like, 
assume they'll do everything for free for the publicity. I don't know what I don't know what the deal with that is, <laughs> but I can totally relate. Yeah, it is really it's really strange, but I've I've thankfully like found like my niche customer based or like certain clients that like respect my prices or respect what I do and then they'll be like hey like you don't have to do this or or they'll take or they'll give me projects that I you know love to do and they accept my prices so I think when you're an artist or a musician it's just kind of like it's a lot of combing with like through the right type of people that really appreciate your craft and it takes sometimes you know a little bit of effort to get there but like once you find that like crowd that really appreciates what you're doing and values what you're doing it doesn't just view you as like a charity case like that's yeah that's where you hit the yeah hit the gold <laughs> for sure for sure i agree but uh anyways um in the book description what i noticed too is you make it clear by the words that you use and even in our conversation now that you're like a believe you're believer in god and jesus would you mind like describing why your walk with god is so important and kind of how like that um interlaced with your book or how it related so yeah i'll start with the second kind of the second half of that question first this is an example i use all the time is like if i had a goldfish like a goldfish you know, it has to be in water, like it can't be out of the water. It's got to get fed certain things, it has to get fed at certain times, all those types of things. It has this kind of specific biome and life that it best operates in. And so the, I think the final title for my book is actually going to be Thriving by Following. One, because we follow these rhythms that we cultivate, but also I really believe it's important to be following the rhythm in the order and the plans God has for us because it's it's really the same thing as like the goldfish and the fishbowl for me we like you and I and everyone else we have specific skills talents gifts passions we have a specific set of time and all these sorts of things and there is a rhythm for me and my personality set and my skills that works really great for me and it's different for everyone else. But I think it's really important to connect ourselves to the one who is ultimately in control and ultimately knows what the right plans are, are for us. Because I could, you know, spend hours and hours telling you about all the times I didn't listen and I just felt really out of disorder, really out of whack, or something came up months down the road that was like, whoops, I should have done something differently back here. So that's why rhythm is really important for me in my relationship with God and it's also like there's different seasons of life that we go through depending on where God would have us like we were talking you know before this about you know I'm going back to school I'm going back to teaching in a couple of weeks my rhythm is going to look completely different because of what I have personally said yes to and because what I feel God is calling me to and so, yeah, rhythm has been so important in my relationship with him. And I, I really don't believe you can have rhythm without the relationship part, because then it's just like I'm trying to impose my own will and sets of rhythm on top of a better one. So. Right. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think that's really important when you're trying to 
cultivate a relationship with God is like it you want it to be like constant in a sense you want you know there's going to be ebbs and flows but you want to keep on getting that steady um nutrients from him because i think like it can be really easy to get complacent and like get out of rhythm or get out of habit and then just like oh like i haven't been to church or i haven't read my bible in like six months and then you know and then you wonder why god you know may or may not be working in your life but i can agree also with like just really relinquishing um the control you have over your life and like giving it to him it's like a huge game changer like i'm sure for you especially for me because you know we all are prideful people we all want to have some sort of control about what our life plan is going to look like and time and time again god will be like yeah well guess what i have this (laughs) plan for you (laughs) oh yeah it was actually the initial concept for my book before i finalized the position months later was i was going to call it babel must fall and the idea was going to be that we build these like towers of babel in our lives whether it's like job or instagram or you know pleasing people any of these things and we cling to them like they're good for us and we kind of lie to ourselves and tell tell ourselves they're good for us when in actuality they're holding us back and so we got to take those things down so that we can actually thrive in the better plans of god right yeah because at that point they're just all idols you know taking us away from yep true relationship yeah it's definitely it's it it's even worse nowadays you know with how accessible everything is and like how easy it is to fall back into you know like wanting everyone to like you or like having the most followers or like having the best job and it's really easy to get caught up in those like little social circles where like yeah i don't have value i don't have value unless i have like x amount of things or x amount of money so i definitely understand what you're saying there (laughs) now i'm in your book um you also kind of mentioned one of the other motivations for you writing it um, is you mentioned that some of um, your peers and students, I believe, were kind of giving you this or they were doing something or you were kind of wondering that there has to be more to life Were your students kind of expressing that discontent with things or they seemed kind of like not in rhythm with things. And you were kind of searching for an answer in writing this book to supply them with that or yeah i mean when i was in high school i was a moody teenager too and i you know had my own all sorts of things going on but i think for some reason going back to teach four or five years later on the other side it just hit me so much more that it seemed like sometimes walking into a classroom in the morning there's just like this something like palpable in the air that was just like this heaviness and this weariness over the students. And I mean, some of that is, you know, they sit in classrooms all day. And then part of it is hearing about some of the difficult situations some of them are in back at home. And so, you know, in writing this book, I wanted to be able to give especially like the students I teach and young adults around my age, around their age, tools to be able to find a way to 
a deeper sense of joy and fulfillment, like you mentioned earlier. Um, I always say here as a caveat that it's not 100% self-help. It's not read this book. It's a magic happy pill. Everything in your life is going to get amazing. It's totally not the case. But I do really believe that if they cultivated these better rhythms and protected some of the things that were important to them and knew how to say no and set good boundaries, like I really do think that the, I'll say the overall quality of life would be a little better. Because I really do think like once we get in that rhythm where we can thrive, like suddenly it's like, whoa, like there is more to life. It's not just, you know, clocking in in the morning, clocking out at night, and thinking like nothing I do has purpose. Like there's so much purpose to be found. Right, of course. And I think too, so so since you teach it at Lutheran West too, like generally everyone there um, has a current relationship or knows, you know, of God. So it's not like foreign to them to be like reading about cultivating rhythm and relationship with God along the way. Would you hope that this book would get out to like, secular schools or like you know people of all walks of life or do you want it to be catered to a specific audience or so yes for sure i mean i'll say that i don't believe i don't necessarily think that rhythm is just like something that only christians can do Right, you know, right. But I will say, I think there is an important part of rhythm that is like being in that relationship with God. So if anything, I definitely want people who at least know of God to be able to have it as a tool to um, cultivate deeper relationship with God. And if it gets to, you know, a quote, secular uh, audience, by all means like let's do it and maybe it hits and they really latch on or maybe it's only a self-help book to them which is fine like whatever I mean this is what I learned from music it's like I write a piece of music and it means something to me but you know there's tens and hundreds of people sitting in the audience and it means completely different things to them so you know I write a book and it's got a topic it's got formulas and tools and all these things and stories but like it's gonna mean something to each and every single person depending on where they are in life right no that's a good point for sure how long um i'm curious too how long have you been working on this because i mean i mean i always hear of books like being like one to three year projects i mean have you hammered it out faster or like what's yeah what's been going on with that so i started writing in about February of this year. Oh, wow. And then I okay. submitted my first manuscript at the end of June, and it was over 71,000 words, which is no. absolutely <laughs> absurd. <laughs> so I actually just started uh, a 10 week process of revisions this week. So I'm in the editing phase. I really need to cut down my manuscript by at least 30,000 words. So oh, wow. <laughs> content content is not my issue. So I'm really focusing on making my points more succinct. But then once once I submit the final manuscript middle of October, it goes to copying and editing 
and then it gets published. Wow. So does it have like through your publisher editor, like, um, is that word limit something you came up with or is that something they suggested? Like it can't be over this word count or. I'm pretty sure they have a word limit of 50,000. Okay. And usually I like to be an overachiever, but (laughs) I know from, I know from personal experience though, how intimidating it can be to get like a 300 page book and be like, Whoa, I don't know if I really want to read that. So (laughs) I'd like, I'd like to hit a little under there. (laughs) 40,000 is my goal. So. Okay. And that would, that would equal out to like about 200 some pages or something like that. Or I think so. I'm not exactly sure how many pages it would be. I'm pretty sure. I think I heard at one point that like an average nonfiction book is about 36,000 words. So have you had like any on the writing? Yeah. Yeah. Have you had like any like setbacks along the way in the writing process? Like just like writer's block or just like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how the heck I'm going to finish this. All of the above. (laughs) I mean, really it's, it can be overwhelming at times. Yeah. Like I'm, th- I've actually been kind of putting off revisions even this week. Cause I really need to be going through and editing five chapters a week, which mm. is essentially okay. like 15 to 20,000 words a week. And then I have to do it again. So it's like two, four oh, week man. blocks. <laughs> so it is a little overwhelming to think about it. I'm actually really need to do some revising. Um, after we're up here but yeah it's i've had writer's block and it's been overwhelming and i haven't wanted to do it i think i've just learned that even if i only have 15 minutes and i get a couple paragraphs done like i just got to do it because it could lead to more i could finally get in it or i might really dislike what i'm doing but hey i tried i showed up and i got 15 minutes in and that's something to be proud of Right. Yeah, who knows? When you start writing for 50 minutes, you could get into a rhythm. Exactly. <laughs> Let's see what and you then mean. write more. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, that's cool, man. So, did you um I just cuz I'm curious and I don't know too much about like writing books or being an author like do people usually like have um multiple teams of writers or is it usually just one person or so there's like a writer, editor, publisher um do people it's is this is this your first time at this too or is there like a process that you read about that like gets books done in faster amounts of time or this has just been a whole learning process this is this is the first time i've done this i've just been going along with how the programs set up so i had a editor for the first four months until i submitted my manuscript And then I had an acquiring editor who did a cold read of my manuscript. And now I have a marketing and revisions editor who will work with me until the end of the publishing process. But then there's also the logistics of publishing, the the copying, the editing, the cover art, back art, uh, design. So 
I don't know if there's a faster or longer way to do it. Uh, frankly, this is just what I've been doing in this program. And I figure right, right. a book in a year is pretty good time-wise. So <laughs> Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. I mean, most people can't even type out, like, you know, two pages in a Word document, let alone, like, 40,000 words. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So do you have, like, um, is this book mainly kind of like personal experience autobiography-esque like you using your own testimony to write about or do you pull from like sources or other books um like what content wise like what's a lot of the meat in your novel or in your in your book so there's definitely a lot of personal stories personal experience um yeah i also pull from a lot of outside sources from um just interviews with friends and people that I know and sharing their stories with specific things. There's a lot of uh, lessons and teaching from scripture, which I think is really important. A lot of scientific research, um, you know, extra scripture kind of stuff. But I, I, what I really also wanted to focus on was just making sure that there were enough stories in the book. Because it's one thing to you know, tell someone like you could do A, B, and C and it might work for you. But I think it's a whole nother ball game to say, here's this story of someone who was struggling with X and tried, you know, Y and Z and they ended up here. I got you. So you have a lot of like other people's narratives, including your own, to sign it to sort of like build your credibility as an author instead of just like you lecturing people the whole time. Absolutely. 100% correct. Gotcha. Gotcha. No one wants yeah, to hear always... me lecture to them. Yeah. That's cool. No, I know when I read books, it's always like it hits home when I, when I read about other people's stories and, and um, throughout the book as well. It, it makes it more, I don't know, it makes it more personal and relatable in a sense because, you know, yeah. just like knowing that those people are real they had these real life experiences and that they achieved them or that they suffered through those things. It does make it also more digestible reading too, because you're not just like, it's not like reading a textbook, you know, it's dynamic piece of writing at that point. For sure. Have you, so I'm kind of interested too. What's uh, along the book? Like, what have you thought about for like the cover art? Like, have you thought of like, anything symbolic or like is it just gonna be like pretty you know stark like flat color and here's the text and then then you open up or like so i actually just started kind of talking about cover art with the publisher i am in the process of picking out book covers that i do and don't like and like writing what I do and don't like about them so they get an idea of what I like. Um, honestly, I have zero idea what I want my book cover to look like. I, I also haven't really thought about it yet, I'm not gonna lie, which is a little weird for me. But I've definitely been looking at covers that I do like, and for some reason I've just been really attracted lately to very minimal covers, like not a lot of extra design on it um that said i don't want it to just be like a white background with like black comic sans font on the front or something like right that. right <laughs> well so yeah i mean 
I mean, like the the stock image that you had on your Indiegogo. I mean, even that was like interesting to me. I mean, I'm sure you'll end up doing some different variation, but like, yeah. I mean, if you're talking minimal, I mean, like the blue background with like the white text. I mean, that was that was cool. I mean, I think that could have some potential. Maybe some like designs or embellishments around the text. But do you think you're mainly thinking it's along something along those lines, not like illustration or like photograph or anything or i wouldn't be opposed to you know an illustration or a photograph the what's on the campaign site is just a mock-up that the publisher put together for visual on the campaign so it's not just words um no honestly i'm not really opposed to anything necessarily as long as it's done tastefully so we'll see we're supposed to be the next couple of weeks are kind of just what are our preferences kind of starting to get the ideas flowing so we'll see what it looks like in a couple of weeks sweet awesome and are you gonna have like a like an acknowledgments page or like a page like dedicated to like certain people that helped you write the book or something like that or yeah for sure i mean people that helped me along the way also, anyone that uh, helped or will help support my pre-sale campaign, they'll also get their name listed in the acknowledgments. So, yeah, I mean, I could not have done this by myself. I would not ever want to do this by myself. Uh, it's totally a team effort. So, yeah, there are a lot of people that deserve a lot of thanks for all their help and support. For sure, yeah. Um, when you When you were writing this, are you like workload wise are you the type of person that can just like type up like like several pages or like a bunch of chapters like stay up all night or do you need to like be up during the day is that when you're most productive i've been kind of curious to learn about other people and like how they tackle workloads because like me personally like even in college like when i had art projects when i had like assignments like i had to you know, cut out a section of my day. Like I was good from like 7 a.m. to like 7 p.m. Then after that, like I was just not productive at all. Like, I, I hear you. I. So I mean, my daily rhythm changes a little bit, but I'm usually I'm usually up at four or five in the morning, especially if I have to work in the morning and be at the high school. Gotcha. I think for me, I can pretty much work any time of the day as long as I so I'm an introvert so okay what I something I definitely can't do is like go to a party and then come home and try and write a couple chapters because Mm. as much as I love hanging out with my friends it doesn't give me energy because I'm not an extrovert so it can't come after things like that but I definitely, I definitely, definitely prefer like blocking out large blocks of time. So like usually two to four hours where I'll just grind a bunch of stuff out. Um, That's kind of how I prefer it. I don't like waiting till deadlines. I don't like it doing sporadically because then I feel like I'm not getting anything done. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think that's that's admirable, too. can't believe you wake up at, like, 4. Jeez. I try to do that it, a couple times. I just I just can't. 
eventually I'll be, I'm sure I'll be able to build that habit, but it's just tough. I either need to go to bed earlier. I can't stay up till like 12 and wake up at four. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I wake up at four or five, but I, I'm in bed by eight or nine because right. <laughs> I really got to protect my sleep or else I just, it's a train wreck after a few days. But yeah, anyways, that's uh, that makes sense. When you wake up that early, you definitely want to be getting to bed at an earlier time. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. All the time. Sweet. Yeah, I was really I was really kind of I mean, I mentioned this to you last time, but I'm I'm still kind of amazed at like um how connected um we are in terms of mutual friends. Like Bryce and and Frank. I was like, "What the heck?" I was it's like really, I, I, <laughs> I just, it's such a small world. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was cool to, it was cool to find out, you know, about Frank and Bryce and, cause I've known Bryce my whole life. Um, I mean, I went to, his mom was my third grade teacher. So, wow. Yeah. So I knew okay. him and Carter and, you know, I've known him pretty much since I was like in second, third grade and we would hang out and we, uh, I wrestled against him a few times. So Yeah. So, yeah, I, and then, I only went to high school with him, but he's a great guy. Yeah, for sure. He's been a real, him and JoJo have been a real encouragement, um, especially to me since I'm like newly married too, and him being married for like a couple years now, or I think something like that. Um, but yeah, it's been, him and JoJo have been a huge blessing just because, I don't know, man, it's like, I, we're, we're, we're really trying to find like more like-minded Christian couples our age, but it's like, sometimes it's just like really hard to come across or like people don't think the same way or especially like convictions are different or, you know, politics get in the way. So him and Jojo have been a huge blessing for sure. And then Frank, um, I actually know him because his wife works with my best friend from college. So, okay. Yeah, so that's how I ended up meeting him, and then Frank, like, started talking to me, and then I encouraged him to do art, and that's how he's, like, been on this crazy art journey now, like, drawing and painting every day. (laughs) His stuff has been great. Yeah. It's so, it's been so cool just to see, like, the growth and just the journey going, like, through all the different pieces of art. It's just, I think it's really cool to... It's just really cool to watch on the sidelines, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's encouraging for me, too, because it helps me get my act together, like, when I'm slack, and I'm like, man, <laughs> this dude's, this dude's like, you know, progressing faster than me, and he's only been doing it for, like, a few months, so. Friendly but competition. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool talking to him and, like, seeing how he, like, you know, really sponges up all the information I'm giving him and, like, takes advice and learns and grows, so. Yeah, when, when we hang out, we went out over there a few weeks ago, over to their apartment, I saw, like, all of his canvases and paintings all over the wall, and he was like, oh, like, what do you think I should do with this one? It's just, like, cool talking with fellow creatives. Like, that that definitely gives me energy, so. Oh, yeah, for sure. I hear you on that. Awesome, man. Well, we're probably going to get wrapped up here, um... It was an awesome interview. Thank you for taking the time out of your day, your busy editing schedule, to join <laughs> join on the podcast. No, thanks for um, having me. I really appreciate it. 
yeah before before we leave too um go ahead and tell everyone how they can support you and where they can buy your book and you know timeline of when it's going to be published or just anything um promotional wise of like what people can do to learn about you follow you know about your book yeah so i am currently in a pre-sale campaign for my book just because publishing costs money that's the simple fact of that um but i have a I have a campaign going on Indiegogo right now. I think it's got 28 or 29 days, something left like that. Um, people can pre-order a signed paperback copy there. And the really cool part, I think, is that when people pre-order, they get to be a part of the beta reader community. So they get to see parts of the book early and provide feedback. They get to help me pick the final cover for the book. So. It's also really exciting for me just to get practical feedback, but also just to like take people on the journey with me and have them there. Um, that's really exciting. And then I have a Instagram account that's specifically for my writing stuff at uh, Joseph Tolanin underscore writer. And if people want to find like more updates, more information, stay on the journey with me, they can follow me there. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast episode with Joseph Tolanen. Again, I will be putting links in the description for this podcast for his Indiegogo and Instagram for those of you that want to continue to follow him on his book publishing journey. Thank you for tuning in, and I will be super excited to share the next podcast episode with all of you. Have a great day.